0: you would, grab your uh, pew Bibles or the scriptures you brought with you and turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be uh, here this morning. We're going to pick things up in verse uh, 27. Uh, if you've been tracking with us, uh, this, is, this will be the third uh, snapshot, if you will, of conversion in the book of Acts. In other words, Luke, the author of, of Acts, has um, kind of narrowed our vision, so to speak. We've heard him say you know, thousands came to Christ uh, after the preaching of this sermon, kind of feel to it. Uh, here he gets a little bit more personal here in these chapters, since about chapter uh, 8 or so. He's saying, here's, here's what the has looked like as it has infected uh, individual lives. Uh, last week we looked at uh, how it got into the world of uh, the Apostle Paul as we know him today, uh, how he was struck blind and... Um, it's actually Luke's uh, gives us three testimonies of Paul's conversion. That was the first one. There's two others uh, later on in the book. But this morning, we're going to look at uh, a man named Cornelius. Uh, it's a long chapter, uh, 48 uh, verses. I'm not going to read the whole uh, chapter, but to catch you up to speed where we're at as we approach, uh, as we start things off in verse 27, uh, Peter the apostle. Uh, finds himself at uh, Cornelius' house. Uh, Cornelius has had a vision about how Peter needs to come uh, to him, and Peter has had a vision uh, about how he needs to come and speak to uh, Cornelius. And so we're going to pick things up in verse uh, 27, and we'll read through uh, the rest of the chapter. Would you stand for the reading of God's word as you're able? Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 27. While talking with him, that is Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with, associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying in this at, at this hour, and at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man shi- in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives in, by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Verse 34. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed to judge the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us in love. Would you pray with me? Father God, would you guard our hearts from just hearing God speak? Would you speak to our hearts with the words uh, that are shared this morning, the words of your scripture, the truths that are there, that they would resonate deep within us. It would cause us to, to love you more wholeheartedly and to love you more fully, regardless of where we are this morning in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Some time ago, uh, our family took a, a trip to uh, New Orleans. And on the first day, we checked in the hotel, we got settled. Uh, we began to walk the city, we'll walk the streets and just see all the, the sights and sounds and, and uh, see the people that were there. And uh, we're walking along this one sidewalk. And it's kind of crowded, but it's not overly, not like New York City kind of crowded, but just kind of, there's a good traffic there. And all the the cafe doors were open, the store doors were open, and you could look inside and see what's going on. It was great weather, pleasant. And um, up ahead, I see there's kind of a crowd that's kind of bunched up, and they're listening to this fellow play his guitar and and sing to him. I'm like, oh, boy. And so we keep walking, and we see this guy. And and about the time as we get there, uh, the crowd kind of dispersed because the song had ended and things moved on, and we got and we got right in front of him, and my worst nightmare came true. He says, hey there, how are you all doing? And he starts talking to us, initiating with us. And, of course, he keys in on our our little girl, and he's like, what's your name? he's like, well, I'm I'm Anna Kate. And he's like, that's great. And then he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something special for you, like he's just thinking about us a special way here. And uh, I'm going to sing a song uh, to you, Anna Kate, but I'm going to sing it from the perspective of your father, and how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. I'm like, "Oh my goodness, this is a nightmare." And so he starts singing. He starts doing this, and Anna Kate's just watching and not knowing exactly what's going on. And I begin to think, as I see his guitar case you know opened up and there's some dollar bills and chains scattered in there, I was like, ah, I've got to give to this guy now after this song is over. How much do you give? How much do you put in the, the, gu- the guitar case there? And so I begin to think I don't know what to give how much and so I'm fishing around my pocket as he's singing waiting for this thing to be over so we can be gone and so I pull out some some cash and I say thank you and put it in the the box and he kind of looks down at it and I was like you got to be kidding me he was going to say something and uh, he says is that is that for all your whole family I'm like you got to be kidding me you stopped me I didn't want to stop I was ready just to keep going I said, being a quick-witted that I am, I said, well, we're on a budget, and I just kept on, on going there. Sometimes you have people that initiate with you, and you just don't want them to talk to you. You don't want to be initiated with. You don't want to be talking to them at all, and sometimes you have people that come into your life, and you want them to initiate with you. You want to talk to them. You want to hear from them, and that's kind of a welcome initiation. Uh, That's what Cornelius is experiencing here in this passage. Uh, He wants Peter to come and talk to him. He wants God uh, to come and talk to him. Uh, He wants to hear what's being said to him. As I said a moment ago, this is uh, the third installment or the third snapshot of conversion in the book of Acts. And just as we looked at last week, we saw Paul and how he was converted. And we never said, hey, that's the way you are converted. If it did not happen like you, it doesn't happen in your life like it happened to Paul, you're not a Christian. But we said the Bible gives us various pictures of conversion, what it looks like to, uh, to, to walk with him, to know him, to put your faith and trust in him. And we said that there are certain elements, there are certain marks of conversion uh, that we can learn from. We saw that with Paul. And this morning, this is what we're going to do, kind of the same template as we look at uh, Peter and Cornelius here in this uh, passage. And so my outline is very simple. Uh, I just want to look at uh, these two men, Cornelius and Peter. What do they have to teach us about uh, the nature of conversion and the nature of, of faith uh, in Christ? So the first one, uh, Cornelius, let's talk about him and see what we learn there. In verse 2, we didn't read it, but this is what it's, Luke says to us about uh, Cornelius it says, He and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And so Cornelius is presented to us as what? As somebody who prays and gives. In other words, he has a, a spiritual side to him. He understands that there's, there's more to this life than what he sees and what he can feel and touch. That there's something spiritual out there. He believes in, in a God, a uh, God of the Old Testament. Uh, and he's a good person. He's moral gives away stuff to the poor. He cares about those kind of individuals. Uh, In the Bible, those people are called God-fearers. They're Gentiles uh, who are not Jewish by uh, background or culture, but they believe in the God of of the Old Testament, uh, and they follow him in some shape or form. They're called God-fearers. Now, at this point, to to think about uh, Cornelius like this, if you were to move into a neighborhood or you saw a moving van coming into your neighborhood where you lived, You want a Cornelius kind of guy living next to you uh, because he's good, he's nice, Uh, he has some kind of spiritual life, he he may even go to church. But what's interesting about this is that, that Luke never tells us that he is a Christian, never tells us he's a believer, otherwise there'd be no need for Peter and the Holy Spirit and all those other things that we see. Verse 30, look ahead there a little bit more. Uh, Four days ago, about this hour, hour, Cornelius is saying, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. The angel is basically saying to him, We like you, Cornelius. We like your lifestyle. We like that you give attention uh, to us, to spiritual things and to God Himself. We like that you are a moral person. You give away stuff uh, to those who are in need. But how does the rest of the story go? Does the rest of the story, does the angel say to him, you know what, just keep chugging along. Keep doing the right thing. Keep being a good person. Keep giving to the poor. Uh, Keep living this righteous life that's before you. That's not what we see unfolding before us. The angel says, hey, you need to get to talk to this man named Peter and you need to hear what he has to say to you in other words you need to know a little bit more so who i am you need a little bit know in in greater detail in significant detail about my son and about Jesus and what he has done for you now Cornelius it, may be a great guy and he may be the ideal neighbor but something is missing from his life. And if God had never uh, come in and and moved into his to his world and sent Peter and all this kind of drama that comes with him, Cornelius would be tempted to say, you know what? God, I'm a good person. I have good things. I've done a good, I've led a good life. I've, I've, I've feared you and I've given to the poor. I give these things to you. Now you need to accept me or will you accept me? I'm looking for you to accept me because of all these things I've done and the lifestyle that I have have lived. And yet he needs the gospel. Yet he needs grace. And you ask yourself, well, why? Why is grace so important? Why is the gospel so important? Why does Cornelius here need to hear about uh, Jesus from Peter? Because the danger is <laughs> that Cornelius will say, I'm a good person. And the danger is that he will begin to say, I can live apart from him. I don't need him to provide for me. I don't need him to do things for me. I can live independently of him. And then I can give these things to him. The danger is us to say, I don't need him. Maybe explain it like this. Think about it like this. Say, for example, our our youngest son, Knox, Uh, he begins to uh, pick up an aptitude for the game of golf. And uh, we give him lessons, and he starts to play, and he just loves it. He's doing well at it. And he gets to high school, and he makes the high school golf team. And he excels there. All the while, we're giving him the equipment he needs. We're giving him the lessons that he need- needs. We're paying for the, uh, the course fees and the memberships and all those things that go along with that. And uh, he graduates high school, and uh, he plays collegiate golf. He does well there. And uh, he graduates college. And he says, you know what, Mom and Dad, I'm, I'm going to try my hand at the, the PGA Tour. I'm going to try and be a professional golfer. I've got some good skills, and I think this would be a good, good fit for me. Like, all right, go for it. This would be great. And so he makes the tour. He qualifies. He gets his, uh, his card there. And he plays for a couple of years. And then finally, one day in April, he wins a tournament. Not just any tournament, but he wins the Masters. I mean, like the major, major, big deal. This is great. Janelle and I are there. We're in the stands on the 18th uh, green there. We're watching Jim Nance put on the green coat uh, on Knox. This is a great moment. He's being interviewed. And what do we hear? Thank you. This has been great. I enjoy this opportunity to to win this tournament. Uh, You know, this is good. The camera's kind of panning on us, watching us as the parents, and we're excited for him. But then we get home. And Anna Kate's home she couldn't go to the golf tournament because she's in med school and she's gonna be married soon and it's gonna be great, okay? So she couldn't come, but she gets there and she sees us and she's angry and she's like, I cannot believe him. I can believe he didn't thank you at all. He didn't say anything about all the, the stuff that you, all the equipment you bought for him, all the tournaments that you brought, uh, tournaments that you brought him to, all the lessons that you paid for, day in, day out, how you helped him do all these things. What has Knox done? He's turned all the accomplishments in his life, and he's turned them into trophies, and he said, this is what I have done. These are all the things that I have done on my own. Now take this and put this scenario on the top of of Cornelius and on top of ourselves too, that we run the risk of being living independent of God. We say, God, all these good things that I have done I've done these things without your help, without your, your plan in my life, and now I give them to you, and will you accept these trophies as, as worthy of me being accepted by you? What would we be missing? We'd be missing so much. And it's a picture of us trying to live independently of God like we don't need him, like everything he's done in our life does not matter. You put this in the, the scenario in the place of Cornelius. That Cornelius is failing to factor in what? The, the moral lifestyle that he's been raised in. His, his parents that loved him day in and day out, that taught, taught him all the right things. That taught him about God and taught him about morality. He would fail to forget to, to all the, the resources that he has, the skills that he has. Those aren't things that just appeared out of thin air, but God put those into his life. And the reason he's prospering, the reason he has his family and the roof over his head and all that he has is because God has provided those things for him. Not to mention that he upholds us day in and day out, providing for us all the time. Cornelius, if he doesn't hear about the gospel, if he doesn't hear about grace, is going to live his life independent of God. Not without recognizing him, but recognizing in the sense of these are all the things that I've done and I give you these things as trophies to you. All the accomplishments I've made, will you accept me? And God says, no, that's not enough. You need grace. You need the gospel. That's why I'm sending you my servant, Peter, so that'll be clear to you. That's a little bit of what we learned about conversion from Cornelius. Let's think about Peter. What did we learn about conversion from Peter? We think, well, Peter's already a Christian. Yes, he's already a believer. Uh, But there's some things that we learn about conversion, the nature of God's conversion for his people in this passage. Uh, Peter is going to be introduced to a new concept, a new way of thinking about people and cultures and backgrounds and individuals. What Peter's going to be informed about is what's going to be made clear to him is that everything that is unclean, everything that he sees as unclean, doesn't permanently have to stay unclean. That God has the ability, the power, to make that which is unclean, clean. Look at verse uh, 28. Did you catch what Peter says? Here he is at, at Cornelius' house, and he doesn't say, well, thanks for having me over. This is great. But he basically says to him in verse 28, he says, you know I shouldn't be here. You know, shouldn't I, I'm not allowed to associate with your type of people, uh, that you people are, are below me and beneath me. But because I'm here, then, you know, what do you want? Why am I here? And Cornelius very graciously says, you know, that it, he begins to articulate, I, I had this vision and uh, there's something that we need to hear from you. Very humble. Think about the background a little bit, what Peter is carrying with him as he moves to this house with this individual Cornelius. In the beginning of Acts chapter 10, before we read some of these passages, starting before verse 27, Peter has been up on, his, up on his rooftop and he's been praying and doing his work and he gets hungry or he begins to get some food. But before that happens, He's caught up in this trance or vision where he sees the sheep come down and it's got all these unclean animals on it. And God says to him, uh, take and eat or, 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 or kill and eat for yourself. And Peter says, no, I would never do that. I'm Jewish. Those are unclean. I would never do something like that. And God says, no, do it. I've, I'm making it clean now. This happens like three times. And then Peter gets this uh, vision that he needs to go and with these men that come to him as they go and go over to Cornelius's house, and you begin to think, particularly as you read uh, the first two thirds of chapter ten, why all this drama? I mean, why all this, all these visions and the clean and unclean and having to, you know, the, Cornelius gets a vision and Peter gets his vision. Why all this drama just to get these two men together? I think what partly is what's at stake here, what's at issue is these parties don't like each other. They don't know each other. Uh, And it takes this, literally, this this movement of God to get these two groups together. And what the the Jews, Peter and his friends experience there, they get what God has been saying. They get what Jesus has been articulating and hinting at all throughout his ministry, that he's not here just for the Jews, but he's here for the Gentiles. He's here for these people that, that look different and practice and speak different, have different customs, different backgrounds, different lives. I'm not just here for you Jews, but I'm here for the world. I'm here for these Gentiles as well. And it takes this movement for Peter to finally get it. Just as it took persecution to, find, to, to get the apostles and the disciples out of Jerusalem, into Samaria, into the ends of the earth, it took this kind of event For the apostles and the church to realize the gospel is for the Gentiles as well. Two things we learn about uh, this from this passage, and then we'll close in prayer. The first thing this means for us is that God does not show favorites. God does not show favorites. And aren't we grateful that He doesn't? That He didn't come just for this one party, for these people that live this kind of lifestyle. But he comes for broken sinners like you and me, people who are ashamed of what happened last week, people who are are frustrated by life and circumstances, people who are disappointed, who are lonely, who are angry. God says, I don't show favorites, but I've come for you, and my gospel is for you as well. The second thing that I think this passage uh, teaches us is is to think about this question. How do you view yourself? How do you think about yourself? Do you think about yourself as clean or unclean? Because God comes and he says nothing that is unclean has to permanently stay unclean. He makes us clean. Maybe I can get it at you like this. Are you somebody that's always down on yourself? Are you always disappointed with your performance? Do you always feel like a failure? you feel like you're not worthy enough to be used in this capacity or that capacity? Do you feel like, God, you could never use me because of what I've done and what I've said and what's happened in my life? God says to you, I make that which is unclean clean. There was a student involved in our youth ministry years ago. And uh, he wasn't uh, a Christian, a Christian that I could tell. didn't seem... Like he was his background, he just didn't seem like a Christian. But he had Christian friends, and they brought him to youth group for a period of months. And I got to know him. a great guy. He's fun, great personality, enjoyed him a lot. And one night, I could tell he was just kind of heavy-hearted, weighed down with some stuff. And uh, I said, Let's, you know, what's going on? And he looked like he wanted to talk more. And so we went somewhere quiet, and we began to talk. And he just opened up this stuff that's on his heart and what's going on in his life. And uh, me being the good youth pastor said, you know, what about the gospel? What about Jesus? And maybe you give him thought to that and we talked a little bit more about that. And at the end of that conversation or at the end of that period talking about the gospel, his attitude was one of, I'm not sure that he could really change me. I'm not sure he could really forgive me because I know some of the stuff I've done. And that part of me was like, you're 16. I mean, how much disaster has happened in your life that Jesus wouldn't say, I can forgive you. But you get what he was saying. He was saying, I don't know if he loves me that much. He was looking at his life. He was looking at his record. And he was trying to live independent of God. And he was trying to bring those things to him. He was saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. But the reality is, that's the whole point of the gospel. Of course you're not good enough. Of course you're a failure. Of course you need help. Of course you struggle. Of course you fall into temptation. But God says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. And by my Son, and by the power of the Spirit, I can make everything that is unclean, clean again. And that's an invitation to us. If you've believed the gospel for years and years and years, or you thought you've believed the gospel for years and years and years, God says to you, come, bring your life, bring your dirt, bring your shame, bring all that you are, and look at my son. Look how he died for you. It's all taken care of. You're forgiven. The cross has paid for it all. And you know what he asks of you? He says, receive it. Believe it. Rest in it. Let it be the thing that gives you great comfort and joy in life. Because he can make everything that's unclean, clean again. Will you pray with me? Father, we know our dirt. We know the stuff hidden in our closets. The stuff that we want nobody to see. We know what it's like to walk around and kind of fake it and pretend that things are going well. But in our heart of hearts, we know our needs. Forgive us of our pride, for thinking we can fix ourselves, that we can make ourselves presentable to you and to others. But in these moments, we come to you with our brokenness, with our dirt, and we ask for your forgiveness. We look to your life that was given for us. Would you give us the faith to believe that that is enough? Lord Jesus, your life for us has covered our sin, has covered our dirt, and in him and in you we are made clean. We ask these things because of Christ and all that he has done for us. Amen.